0: Before we start, a bit of a notice about this episode. We'll be talking about the history of the language Esperanto, which is intimately intertwined with the history of the 20th century. We will be talking about some difficult subjects and eschewing our usual humor stings. We will also not have any interviewees. It's still a good episode, so we hope you'll listen. So, for those who are wondering, our program name, Mondo Mercato, comes from the language Esperanto. If you aren't familiar with Esperanto, you're not alone. Globally, estimates range from 63,000 to 2 million speakers worldwide. The story of Esperanto starts in Eastern Europe in the 19th century, but continues on to the Internet and to the farthest reaches of outer space. All on this bonus episode, coming up next. From the Georgia Tech Center for International Business Education and Research at the Scheller College of Business, this is Mondo Mercado Understanding Global Markets. Mondo Mercado aims to demystify the complex world of international business through education and entertainment. According to Judeo Christian texts, after the Great Flood, all humanity lived as one, sharing one common human language. Then one day, the people, using their unified power, began building a tower to reach heaven. The tower grew so high that God looked down upon it and was displeased. Rather than send another flood or fire and brimstone, God decided to do the one thing that he knew would stop the construction in its tracks. God scattered the people across the globe and confounded their language so none could understand each other. And so, according to the text, did the languages of the world develop. And thus began a long human history filled with conflict born out of misunderstanding. This story must have been taught to young Ludwig Leitzer Zamenhof. Ludwig was born to Marcus and Rosalia Zamenhof in the city called Bielostok, today called Bialystok, which was then part of the Russian Empire. Like many border towns, Bielostok was a mishmash of different cultures and languages. The Zamenhofs were Lithuanian Jews, so little Ludwig grew up with two native languages, Russian and Yiddish. Marcus was a German and French teacher, so Ludwig learned those languages from his father, as well as Hebrew. He also picked up the other languages spoken by the residents of Belostok, Polish and Belarusian. In school, Ludwig studied Latin, Greek, Aramaic, and some English. He was interested in Lithuanian and Italian, and he studied the constructed language of Olapuk when it was introduced around 1880. In Belostok, the majority were Yiddish-speaking. But there were significant numbers of Roman Catholic Poles and Eastern Orthodox Russians, as well as other smaller groups. The groups did not get along very well, with frequent, sometimes violent conflicts breaking out between them. Ludwig was saddened by these conflicts, which he saw as arising from misunderstanding between the groups. As a polyglot, he thought, if only there were some way for the various groups to communicate, they might be able to understand each other better and avoid conflicts. Zamenhof did not want the groups to sacrifice their native tongues, but rather to have a second, common language, which would allow them to communicate clearly while still keeping their native identities. Ludwig was already familiar with Volapük, but he quickly concluded that Volapük's sources of German, French, and English meant that Volopuk was too complicated to be quickly acquired by learners. Zamenhof wanted a language that would be simpler and easier for a wide range of native language speakers to acquire. Zamenhof's family had moved to Warsaw, and in high school he set about creating his own constructed language and teaching it to his classmates. He designed Esperanto to be completely regular in its grammar, and to use prefixes and suffixes extensively to allow a small core vocabulary to be modified in myriads of ways to accommodate new concepts, rather than having irregular forms cobbled together from different words at different times. He knew for a language to be useful, in addition to speakers, it needed content. To that end, he set about translating the Bible and the works of Shakespeare into Esperanto. And in an epic case of throwing shade, he made one of the words in Esperanto for gibberish, Volapukayo. When he first tried to publish an introduction to the language, Tsarist censors banned it. As it turned out, the delay gave Zamenhof time to improve the guide. In 1887, it was ready, and in July, he published Unua Libro, an introductory guide, which is essentially the language as it is spoken today. Zamenhof completed medical school and worked as an ophthalmologist in Vienna, but he continued working on Esperanto in his free time. The original name Zamenhof had chosen for his language was Lingvo Internacia, or international language, but he published his work under the pseudonym Doctoro Esperanto, which means Dr. Hopeful. Soon, people were calling the language Esperanto to express the hope that it gave them for the future of humanity. When we come back, we will talk about the pain that came with that hope. Hello, this is Michael Oxman, Managing Director of the Ray C. Anderson Center for Sustainable Business at Sheller College of Business. We at the center are working to integrate environmental and social issues that present both risks and opportunities to the private sector into business school education and practice. We do this through academic research, courses and co-curricular activities that emphasize real-world engagement with corporate partners, and via collaboration on a range of international sustainability issues. For more information, you can find me at michael.oxman at Thank you. The first World Congress of Esperanto speakers was held in 1905 in Boulogne-sur-Mer in northern France. There were 688 participants from 20 countries. Esperanto World Congresses have been held every year since, excluding the years of World War I and World War II. At the first Congress, Zamenhof stepped down from the leadership of the Esperanto movement in order to prevent the movement from becoming a cult around him. Around this time there were interesting things happening with Esperanto. Neutral Moorsnet was a microstate formed between Germany and Belgium. It was made up from the remnants of the Vierre Montagne zinc mine and came to be because of confused borders drawn up during the Congress of Vienna a century earlier. In 1908 it declared Esperanto as its official language. In 1910 L.L. Zamenhof was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by four members of the British Parliament. Soon, though, dark times were falling upon Europe. A language designed to bring people together in spite of their differences could not resist the guns and bombs of World War I. Neutral Morsnet was quickly invaded and conquered by the German army. Similarly, Esperanto was largely abandoned for the next four years as the major nations of the world fought killing millions and destroying vast swaths of Europe. However, the hope of Esperanto was revived when the war ended. In the League of Nations, Esperanto was promoted as an official language for international relations. Alas, Zamenhof did not live to see this proposal. He died of a presumed heart attack on April 14, 1917, at the age of 57. The proposal would have passed if not for the veto of the French delegation, who were watching the French language rapidly lose its hold on the title of Global Lingua Franca. The French Ministry of Education went so far as to say the acceptance of Esperanto would mean, quote, French and English would perish, and the literary standard of the world would be debased, end quote. This was definitely a threat to the acceptance of Esperanto, but there was a much darker threat on the horizon one which endangered not only the language, but anyone who spoke it. The punitive peace of Versailles threw the German economy into ruin and created a political power vacuum, into which one of history's great monsters stepped. In Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler specifically cited Esperanto as an enemy of his dark vision. He claimed it was a universal language created to unite the Jewish diaspora. Zamenhof of course was a Lithuanian Jew. Zamenhof and his wife Clara had 3 children: Adam, Zofia, and Lydia. After the death of their father, the 3 children worked to continue his linguistic legacy, teaching and promoting Esperanto. As the Nazis invaded Poland and began implementing their final solution, all 3 of the Zamenhof children were swept up in the invasion. Adam's wife and teenage son escaped, and lived in hiding for the duration of the war. But Adam was arrested by the Nazis on October 1, 1939, and sent to the village of Palmieri, where he was shot in January 1940. Zofia was a doctor by training, and provided medical services in the Warsaw ghetto to others forced to live there. Lydia was the most vocal advocate for Esperanto. She had become a member of the Baha'i faith, embracing its principles which include the oneness of humankind and advocating for world peace. Immediately prior to the war, she had been living in the United States, teaching Esperanto. In December of 1938, however, Lydia's visa was revoked by the United States for a violation of terms. It was stated that her teaching of Esperanto was, quote, paid labor. She was returned to Warsaw. She lived with her family in the Warsaw ghetto and tried to get medicine and food to people who needed it. She was offered escape many times by sympathetic Esperantists in Poland, but refused them all. When she declined, she usually did so on the basis that by helping her, her friends would be putting their own lives in danger. She told Polish Esperantist Joseph Arsenic You and your family could lose your lives, because whoever hides a Jew perishes along with the Jew who is discovered. In her final known letter, She wrote to another friend who offered to help her, Do not think of putting yourself in danger. I know that I must die, but I feel it is my duty to stay with my people. God grant that out of our sufferings a better world may emerge. Zofia and Lydia were ordered to report for transport in 1942 and sent to the Treblinka concentration camp. There, both sisters were murdered by the Nazis within a few months of each other. Before the end of the war, many more Esperantists were sent to the death camps. Things were not much better for Esperanto in the Soviet Union. While initially the government supported Esperanto as a potential tool for the worldwide spread of the workers' revolution, Stalin saw it as a threat to his power and banned it in 1937. Speaking Esperanto itself was not an executable crime in Stalin's Soviet Union, but Esperanto speakers were frequently charged with additional crimes to justify their executions. The Cold War saw further anti-Esperanto sentiment, not just from the Soviets, but also from the West, who feared that the language could be used for spying or enemy propaganda. In war games staged by the U.S. military during the Cold War, Esperanto was usually the language of the mock enemy forces. When we return, is Esperanto making a comeback? This is Robert Burgess, the Administrative Director of the Denning Technology and Management Program, abbreviated t and Our office is in the Scheller College of Business here at Georgia Tech. The TNM program is a competitive admission minor that's designed to breed cross-functional leaders in technology and business-related fields. The classes emphasize experiential learning and include hands-on elements that allow those TNM students the opportunity to offer interdisciplinary solutions to real-world problems faced by our corporate affiliates. All undergraduate majors on campus are welcome to apply each October for admission to the cohort the following fall semester. About 300 students apply each year it's a very selective program as we only have 65 seats in each cohort. If you'd like more information about the TNM program, please contact me at robert.burgess, B-U-R-G-E-S-S, at scheller, S-C-H-E-L-L-E-R, dot edu. By the late 1960s, Esperanto was making something of a comeback. In 1966, Argentine psychologist Ruben Feldman González began the Pásporta Servo. The Pásporta Servo is like an Airbnb for Esperantists. If one studies Esperanto, one can find another Esperantist on the Pásporto Servo. It is a website now. And one can stay for free at this Esperantist's house in return for speaking Esperanto with them. In 1975, Esperanto spread to Iran. And after the 1979 revolution... The Ayatollah Khomeini promoted the language, but its connection with the Baha'i faith meant that it quickly fell out of favor. In 1985, UNESCO encouraged UN member states to add Esperanto to their school curricula. In 1999, William Ald, a Scottish-born poet who wrote primarily in Esperanto, was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature. In 2001, the Wikipedia project, Wikipedia in Esperanto, began. Today, it has over 270,000 pages, which is more than Danish, Greek, or Hindi, and more than twice as many as its nearest constructed language competitor, Volapük. In 2015, Duolingo released its Esperanto course, and currently, there are 400,000 active learners. In 2017, the app Amikumu, which allows language learners to find people nearby who are learning or speak the same language, launched with Esperanto as its first language. There are Zamenhof streets, squares, parks, and bridges around the world, all named in honor of L.L. Zamenhof. There is an island in Antarctica called Esperanto Island. And asteroids 1421 and 1462, both discovered by Finnish astronomer Jorjo Vaisala, are named Esperanto and Zamenhof, respectively. And Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, which have crossed the heliopause, the Boundary between our solar system and interstellar space carry golden records on them. Among the languages of the world recorded to be found by aliens in the future is a greeting in Esperanto. So why do we choose Esperanto for our name, Mondo Mercato? Esperanto may never become the lingua franca of the world, but the ideal of a world where different people are able to come together peacefully and for mutual benefit is an ideal we share. As L. L. Zamenhof wrote in a letter to Nikolai Borovko in 1895, The place where I was born and spent my childhood gave direction to all my future struggles. In Bialystok, the inhabitants were divided into four distinct elements Russians, Poles, Germans, and Jews. Each of those spoke their own language and looked on all the others as enemies. In such a town, a sensitive nature feels more acutely than elsewhere the misery caused by language division, and sees at every step that the diversity of languages is the first, or at least the most influential, basis for the separation of the human family into groups of enemies. I was brought up as an idealist. I was taught that all people were brothers, while outside in the street, at every step, I felt that there were no people, only Russians, Poles, Germans, Jews, and so on. This was always a great torment to my infant mind, although many people may smile at such an anguish for the world in a child. Since at that time I thought that grown-ups were omnipotent, I often said to myself that when I grew up, I would certainly destroy this evil. In 2005, Dr. Ángel Cabrera gave a talk, hosted by the Georgia Tech Center for International Business Education and Research, entitled, quote, How International Business Education Can Save the World. We profoundly agree with Dr. Cabrera's topic, and we are very happy he has become the 12th president of the Georgia Institute of Technology. Esperanto is a beautiful ideal. Human history is filled with far too much suffering and conflict. Esperanto offers a way that we might understand each other better. International business offers an incentive for us to care about the fate of our neighbors. When our economies are intertwined, we will hesitate to bring ill upon others, for their fate is our fate as well. We acknowledge that trade is not perfect, but it might be the most effective way to prevent human suffering, and might actually be a force for peace. Ni esperes que baldao e la visio de doctor Zamenhofo primondo comprima caipaca. Ni esperes contribui al tutmondai comprenoi cae cun laboro, sam kil esperanto cunigas homoin. This episode is being released on December 15th, 2019, on L.L. Zamenhof's 160th birthday. So in closing, we'd like to play you this brief clip of Zamenhof himself speaking Esperanto at the World Esperanto Congress in Barcelona in 1909. We at Mondo Mercado wish you and your loved ones peace and prosperity in the new year. Mondo Mercado is a production of the Georgia Tech Center for International Business Education and Research. Funded by the US Department of Education and housed at the Scheller College of Business, at the Georgia Institute of Technology in beautiful Midtown Atlanta, Georgia, USA. This year, we were fortunate enough to have over 1,000 listens and 100 likes or follows to our fledgling podcast. We work hard to get the word out, but we need your help. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, share, and subscribe. Thanks. Special thanks to Rabbi Joe Prass, Director of the Weinberg Center for Holocaust Education at the Bremen Museum in Atlanta for providing fact-checking and guidance. The Georgia Tech Center for International Business Education and Research is under the direction of Dr. John McIntyre. The editor for this episode is Aaron Schaefer. The producer is James Hoadley. Special thanks to the Scheller College of Business, Joe Macri, and Charlie Bennett, public engagement librarian for the Georgia Tech Library. The opinions expressed in this episode are the opinions of speakers only and do not constitute an official statement of the Georgia Institute of Technology or the U.S. Department of Education. Information on Mondo Mercado is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute professional advice. Always contact a qualified professional before undertaking any business investment. Special thanks to KCEL. We are presently working on new episodes for the spring on topics like export, foreign direct investment, workforce development, and the gig economy. We hope you'll join us then.